I'd like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Joining me, as he does at this time each and every week, my good friend, all the way over there in Los Angeles, California, 49ers Hubs, Evan Swords. Evan, good evening, sir. How are you? I am tired, (laughs) but I'm good. I'm very good, but I'm exhausted from a very long weekend. How are you, man? Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, uh, my wife and I are sorting through House of the Dragon. We were saving that one for when we could binge it uh, over a couple days. And uh, delightful. Very much all Very in good. on House of the Dragon. I don't know if y'all partook while it was uh, going on every Sunday. I just, I'm not built for that anymore. Like Mayor of Kingstown just came out with the new se- season two, the first episode. And that is my jam. No one else watches it. It's I, I don't have anyone else to talk to, but I highly encourage everyone, just watch the Prison Riot episode from last uh, season. It's one of the most bonkers hours of television you'll ever see. That's all I'll say. It's, uh, it's a fun time. Taylor Sheridan, I'll watch anything with Taylor Sheridan that he's creating. Yellowstone, whatever. Like, if it's Sunday, like, anything. I'm just, I'm all in. Um, also here of SB Nation, JP Acosta, who had himself a fun weekend. Just every, I had a very nonchalant weekend, went to the park, took hang on the dog, played chess with my wife. And then JP and Evan are just traveling all over the place. And JP was yeah, was in uh, in the building for the Jags all-time great comeback. Uh, JP, thanks for coming back on the show. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm having a blast, man. That was, that was honestly like the best game I've ever been to. Mm-hmm. And- Still trying to sort through what happened. I still can't believe it. Like, and it's been like what two two days. I still I still can't believe what actually happened. Were you able to process having the emotions that you had at the big end of the first half versus the joy of the ending of the game? So, I think because I've said before, I think I am a hex. Every time that I watch the Jet the Jaguars. I lost, and they lost. The last mm-hmm. game I watched fully in person on TV was when they lost 40-14 to 14 to Detroit. So I was like, you mm-hmm. know what? I'm just not going to watch a game. Then they went on the win streak to finish out the season. They make the playoffs. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to this game. Right. X or not, I'm going. And then they went down early, and Trevor threw those four interceptions. I'm like, oh, my God. I can't believe this is happening. So I get up from my seat, and I walk into the concourse because I'm like, something has to give. Like, something has to happen right now. And then they score the touchdown at the end of the half. I'm like, okay, that's fine. 27-7, I can process this fine. 
Mm, they right. scored to open the second half. And I'm like, oh, this is going to happen. This The comeback is happening. And I think mm. like being in that stadium, like nobody left. Not a single person left when they were down. Yeah. Nothing. They go down 27-7. It's like, no, we're going we're gonna to come back and win this. After the uh, opening uh, second half touchdown, everybody was like, yeah, we're winning this game. Like there was no doubt in anybody's mind that they were that the Jaguars weren't going to win. And that's just something that hasn't happened for a Jaguars franchise like ever. Right. Like, go down 27 nothing, and then just be like, yeah, we're going to win. It's, this is just what we do. I mean, I told Evan, we were texting about it uh, after the fact because I had that uh, people don't forget tweet ready to go for Evan and Theo Ash, friend of the pod on Stay Hot, where in our, off-se- our preseason preview um, series that we did, which feels like forever ago now, they were both all in on the Chargers. And one of my things has been for years, I'm like, I don't know what more y'all have to see to just understand that this, it's it's a curse situation. It has nothing to do with a social media quarterback. It has nothing to do with uh, the play of Justin Herbert whatsoever. It has everything to do with this organization for whatever reason. And Derwin James can't, can't uh, surmise what's going on too. It's just, it's not ever going to happen. Like, but buying in, it doesn't matter how many off seasons this team wins. You can trade for uh, for Khalil Mack. You can do whatever. I mean, you lose Mike Williams in a meaningless game the week prior, and then it would have been nice to have him in a four score game. But I, I was telling my uh, folks around me where I was like, as long as this game doesn't get to five five scores, I think the Jaguars are winning this. Like that, which is an insane thing to say leading into the half where I'm like, as long as it doesn't get to five, I think they can overcome uh, a four score game. I think that's a, that's doable. The chargers can pull off that kind of collapse. I think that's in, in the cards. But when you came back out and the second half was rolling, when did you actually let yourself believe, Oh, this is, this is done JP. Like they're actually going to win this game and the chargers, the chargers are going down. So, Probably the last kick, the last second. The Zay Jones touchdown. I remember mm. I'm in the concourse. I'm walking around. My phone's dead at this point. So I really mm. can't like message anybody. I can't see anything that's happening on my phone. Mm. But the Zay Jones touchdown happens and I'm watching it and he goes wide open and he scores. And I do the like the running Michael Jordan fist pump, <laughs> like right in the middle of the concourse. I mm-hmm. see this dude looking at me. We lock eyes. <laughs> and we're like, okay, we know what we're doing here. And we just chest yeah. bump. Like, we I love that. I love that. Right in the middle of the concourse. I'm going around dapping people up. And I'm like, oh, this game is over. The Jaguars. I love that. Mm. It's so. By the way, real quick, real quick. No, to the people that say that, oh, I just, I just will sit at home and watch my 4K TV. I'm not. Why would I go to a game? Like, that is that what you just said is exactly why I will never ever give up going to a football game. Oh, absolutely. Not. In in person. There's nothing like it. When your team is winning, when you're happy and excited, it, it's there's nothing like it. I made some really nice friends. This couple from Minnesota <laughs> who are huge Jaguars fans. They came all the way from Minnesota to watch this playoff game. And I'm like, oh, that. I ended up sitting next to him and I'm like, oh, this is a great conversation to have while, while they're making the comeback. But it's just so it's so refreshing to have a Jaguars team that you can still believe they're never out of a game. Like mm. watching, going back and watching like the first half of that game, like the interceptions were really bad. There were mm-hmm. the bad interceptions. They were moving the ball. It wasn't like they just couldn't move the ball at all. They were moving the ball. The interceptions. Mm. 
just killed all the drives. And then when you think about it, the Char- Chargers scored 20 out of their 30 points off of turnovers. Mm. The Jaguars defense only allowed three points in the second half. Like As long mm. as the defense played really well, they were going to get a shot in this game. And the Chargers, like, the Chargers' inability to run the ball or find any, like, juice in their passing game ended up hurting them the most because Justin Herbert was throwing all these stick routes where nobody was open, and it was incomplete, and it stops the clock. You stop the clock, you go three and out, you're giving Jacksonville more time to get back in this game. Like, it's not just like, oh, we went three and out, we didn't score again. No, you're giving them back the ball, and they have all the momentum. Like, it wasn't just like a comeback. This was just like an avalanche of, like, Mm. touchdowns after touchdown, after touchdown, by the time Zay Jones, or like by the time Christian Kirk scored to make it 28-30, the, the Chargers had lost all momentum. That was the uh, Joey Bosa unsportsmanlike penalty. Mm. His helmet. Like, yeah, the Chargers were done at that point. Like they, I think, and I kind of like to refrain from using this when, when I talk about teams, but mm-hmm. the Chargers quit after that touchdown, after the Zay Jones touchdown. Mm. They done they they were not going to win that game because there was no I don't think there was any belief that they were going to win that game the Jaguars had all the momentum the defense was playing out of their minds it was it was over and seeing that kick go in I was like in like the little bud light zone and I had my phone plugged up to a charger that was barely working so I was on like seven percent and just seeing it go through the uprights, you could hear just the crowd just whoosh of cheers. And it's just like, man, this this franchise needed that win. They needed that kind of win. I think mm. people kind of like shoot off the uh the comeback wins over Detroit, not Detroit, but Dallas and Baltimore is like, oh, they're they were kind of fluky wins. But no, this is what the Jaguars have been doing for a long time this season. Like they were down 27-17 to uh, Dallas and then won in overtime. They were down against Baltimore with two minutes left in the game and won that game. Even against the Titans in the last game of the season, they were down 16-13 and came back to win. This is just what they do. And it's really fun seeing like the philosophy of this team never changes. They're never out of a game. And it's refreshing to have that finally for like, the first time as a fan. Mm-hmm. What did they do differently though in the second half? Like how did how did the the script flip from a 27-0 comeback? Like what what actually changed with Trevor Lawrence in the second half? So I think what happened was I think in the first half the Chargers were daring them to win on the outside. They're taking hmm. all the mill stuff. The Asante Samuel third interception was just a really great design by Brandon Staley where um they try it looks like they're playing man. It looks like they're playing hmm. So the Jaguars in Evan Ingram in motion. Michael Davis follows him. And the Trevor Lawrence is, oh, yeah, man, I know what to do. I'm not even going to read this out. But mm. then before the snap, Michael Davis and Derwin James switch where they are, and they run cover two, and he throws it right to uh, Asante Samuel Jr., who's just playing his flat. He's just playing his responsibility. But late in that, on the last drive of the first half, the touchdown to Evan Ingram, they started to find the formula. Outside mm. passes, tempo, get them moving side to side. And then as soon as they fall asleep or as soon as they try and jump up on those short passes, you hit them over the top. Mm. That's how the Evan Ingram touchdown was scored. The Zay Jones touchdown was perfect, absolutely perfect. And then just 
big catches by hmm. Marvin Jones and Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk made two huge plays, the touchdown, and then there was a big third down completion on the last drive of the game where they ran the exact same concept that they scored the touchdown on, but mm-hmm. it was like on their own 35, and Christian Kirk makes an amazing play. That's that's what you go and pay him for. Like that, that's what that's what happens when you go out and pay players that are good for you. And they really just I think it was getting Trevor's confidence back. I don't think he ever like truly lost all the confidence. Mm-hmm. Seeing him go from throwing four interceptions in the first half to I think he was 23 of 29 for mm. 211 yards in the second half where you can just flip us like flip the switch like that in one half that's that's something we haven't seen the Jaguars quarterback do I haven't been able to say like oh we're we're in this game because we got the quarterback I haven't been able to say that like ever so seeing Trevor Lawrence kind of flip the switch and then the offense be able to adjust and make those big catches was the entire second half game plan. And Doug Peterson, some uh, unbelievable calls that I hope are never forgotten. I mean, that call to ETN on fourth and short was just, I mean, long live the T formation. That was wild. That was uh, the pigeon forge out here in East Tennessee, they run the the wing T and like, there are some high schools uh, in the South where you'll, if you like, for me, I just I still love going and covering uh, those on Friday nights. And you're in Florida, North Florida, and there's uh, all kinds of talent uh, in the state of Florida, obviously, JP. But you'll see every now and then these schools that that's all they run. Yeah. Like that's their bread and butter and they teach it in middle school and elementary school. And that's just that's what you grow up is you only learn the wing tee and stuff like that. But it's it's kind of cool to see it still pop up because people are like, oh, what about the wing? It's like, no, that still pops up. Like, you'd be surprised. Some schools are still running that primarily in 2023. And what was so cool about that play was before that, they called timeout and Trevor mm-hmm. was going to sneak it. But Doug Pearson calls timeout and is like, oh, no, I got the play for this one. because the Chargers wedged it up like they were mm-hmm. going in the QB sneak and Trevor was just going to try and jump outside. But no, Doug Pearson called timeout and was like, okay, we're going to do this student body right. The Travis Etienne forces mm-hmm. Asante Samuel Jr. to tackle. And Travis Etienne is the fastest and most explosive player on the team. So if you get him the ball in a one-on-one situation with a corner who doesn't like to tackle, mm-hmm. he's probably going to win that. That was one of the gutsiest calls like I've seen from Doug Pearson this year. And in a season full of gutsy calls, like this is not just a, oh, they're in a desperate mode to save their season. Like they have to go forward on fourth down. This has always been what the Jaguars have been, they're, which is cool. Always going forward on fourth. And the best thing possible for the NFL, where you get Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, uh, Josh Allen, and Patrick Mahomes as the final four the future, in the AFC. That's insane. NBC put out like a, a graphic that showed mm. the final four teams in the AFC. And seeing the Jaguars on there made me so happy. Like, I, it was it's like, I don't even know how to like put it into words. It's awesome. And it's also, you got this guy for the next 10 plus years. Like Trevor Lawrence, I, I think he'll be cool. I mean, obviously he's from Cartersville here uh, back in Georgia. He's a Southern kid, Jacksonville, a lot of Southern roots. Um, if you go to uh, Jacksonville, Florida, strong Southern vibe. Um, in you mean like so- how he literally won the game and then went to Waffle House? Yes, he did. That, that man went to Waffle House. Southern, like he's about which is, it. Which is, by the way, the coolest thing you could possibly do. Yeah. I mean, I wonder what his order is. I don't know. Uh, have you been to a Waffle House, Evan? 
Uh, yeah, I have. What was your order? Do you remember? Uh, I just, you got, I just got what they told me to get, you know? Okay. <laughs> JB, uh, what's went, your order? I went to the one in Inglewood, and it was I don't remember what exactly my, what you'd expect it to be. I don't remember hmm. what my order was. I, tried I got to- chicken and waffles, right? Like you do? No, what? There's no chicken and waffles at Waffle House. Maybe not. Wait, what's the one in LA then? Maybe I haven't been to Waffle House. I don't House. know. I didn't think there was a Waffle House in LA. What is there's a, what is the okay listen? Hey, <laughs> right right now Roscoe's, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Right now is not the time for me to be trying to use like strong, you know, brain power. Mm-hmm. So let's just move along. What is your order <laughs> at not Roscoe's? It's okay. Um, but you need to get to Waffle House. When you come uh, a little bit further south, Evan, uh, we'll get you to Waffle House. I I did uh I, I was a big fan of the the what's the sub the grocery store with the subs in Florida. Oh, Publix. I big fan of Publix pub subs, so I'm I'm excited for uh you know the other offerings that's the you know is the headquarters the in Jacksonville. I feel like it is right, JP, or is they have some their headquarters is somewhere in North Florida. I think uh Publix is in North Florida, and then when Dixie's in Central Florida. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, there you go, and that's your grocery store talk here on this edition of the program. Um. Evan, Brock Purdy stays perfect. Can I can I give you a take that I was thinking about when I was watching the Niners with my dad and my wife on Saturday yeah. night? Something I was thinking about watching this game. JP will, I think, uh, appreciate this more being a college guy as well. I was watching it, and the way Brock Purdy plays, and the way the Niners are rolling, and the way this defense plays, I feel like JP knows where I'm going with this. They have a strong University of Georgia vibe. And that is terrifying i think if you're the rest of the nfl like both i'm so annoyed right now that the 49ers are the best team in the nfl best mm. defense in the nfl absolutely like unbelievable story with brock purdy and you're wasting airtime talking about some what like division two school like division two, this is a back-to-back national champion georgia bulldog Evan I, 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 no i thought you were said like southern georgia or something no no no, no, no. the university of georgia you, oh georgia. you definitely said southern georgia stetson. no 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 stetson in georgia okay. yeah like okay. stetson bennett the quarterbacks okay. i see what you're saying uh, yeah i was like i was like why are we talking no about no no, southern no. we're not georgia. going georgia southern clay helton has nothing to do with what's going on here right. no it's so much that i'm watching this and i'm like purdy undefeated <laughs> stetson bennett lost one game in two years undersized everyone's doubting you just keep waiting for that shoe to drop you keep waiting for him to throw a game away he's a gunslinger he's not a game manager the dude is out to kill like he has unreal swagger and confidence he's someone that no one he's no offensive genius's first choice like nobody no. is just dying to draft brock purdy or stetson bennett and they just keep winning and you're like I, what are we supposed to do? We have to just keep riding with this. And then you also look at it and you're like, well, he's got George Kittle. He's got this great offensive line. He's got Debo Samuel who's doing this. You got Brandon Ayuk who's doing that. You got this unbelievable best defense remaining in football. And you're like, I just, you could see it. Like it, it reminds me a lot of this Georgia run. That's it's, what I, I, I thought. It, I'm sure. I'm pretty sure Stetson Bennett is probably older than Brock Purdy. Oh, that's um, a good question. He probably is. Cause Stetson's 25. What's Brock? I don't know, but I don't care. <laughs> wasting time. Uh, I will say this: as he's much as we, yeah, he's two years older than Brock. We Purdy. have all talked about Brock Purdy and and what you know. You know, I mean, the, one of the funniest lines in the world is is JP obviously talking about Freebird and uh, the moment that he might have. This game, the first half against the Seahawks, I think gave you the blueprint 
of how things can go very bad. He mm. had like five interceptable balls that he threw. And I'm not like hi- no hyperbole, like one, two, three, four, like literally count them. He probably could have thrown an interception five times. Uh, <laughs> and Seattle was just not, they were not going to capitalize. Um, obviously, again, you know, the, the Niners have started slow the last few games, kind of like the second half of the season, but then they just blow teams out. Uh, you know, I tweeted at halftime. I, I was very confident the whole time. Maybe it was the tequila. I'm not sure. But I was, you know, like, I was like, D- D'Amico Ryan's is one of the, is probably the best second half adjustment defensive coordinator in the NFL. And sure enough, you know, they, they kind of figured out what they were doing and penned things down. But yeah, man, Brock, I think is a, per- I, I think I want to call it the perfect storm with a heavy emphasis literally on the word storm, hmm. where it's like, he, he is what you have when you have a offensive-minded coach that is a genius that can literally scheme people so open and then a guy that's just no hesitation, just willing to put the ball. Oh, you, you want me to put it there? Okay, I'll do it. Like, And it's just the perfect storm. I mean, like he's got the weapons to throw to. Kyle's scheming him open. And as of right now, it's working. Um, as a 49ers fan who, you know, is 34 and has only known pain in his adult life when it comes to the 49ers, I'm terrified. I'm terrified. I'm so scared. Not next week. The Niners are going to just destroy the Cowboys. I, if you guys didn't watch them tonight, that was the best version of themselves that they'll ever look like. He didn't throw it, but we'll, we get there. Um, but really though, like I'm terrified because I do get what your point is. Like, Brock Purdy hasn't made those mistakes yet. He has had some adversity, you know, against Seattle in the regular season, obviously yesterday uh, as well. Um, but yeah, like it's coming. I, I don't want to say it's coming. I don't want to like jinx it or anything like that, but it's like he, ha- I mean, JP, you can maybe talk to a little more intelligently than I can right now, but he had some pretty bad balls that didn't get th- picked. Yeah. I think in the first half, I think he was jittery. Because every pass was behind, like three or four yards behind receivers. Like it, you could tell, like this was his first playoff game ever in the NFL. He was nervous. But the main thing I took away from this game was this is Kyle Shanahan's best coaching, like offensively. This is his best coaching year since 2016 when he was a coordinator with the Falcons. Like this, he is on another level. Like, the biggest example of this is they put up 41 points, and outside of that big CMC 68-yard run, they didn't run the ball very well. No. Like it was not that great of a game on the ground, but it did not matter because everybody was wide open. Well, like, yeah. I mean, like, you also got, like, you know, a dump off to Debo that goes for 60 yards. Like, so it's like you're not getting your running game because those things are happening. That is the run game. Like, I think yeah. averaged 11 yards after the catch on sun on saturday like and i mean it's so fun just having guys who can just dunk on everybody after the catch and it won't matter all you have to do is like i think one of the plays that sticks out in my mind when it comes to that is debo took like a three-yard catch and took it 21 yards mm-hmm. after bouncing off a linebacker and you're just like this is easy. Like he's playing literally easy mode. There was literally a clip that came out today where Brock Purdy throws the ball, that little, you know, that little uh, Debo's touchdown, and he just goes, "Man, you make football fun." Like he's just like sitting here, like knowing that he is the last pick in the draft, 
was probably never meant to start an NFL game. And he's like, I get to just dump the ball off to Debo and he's going to run it for 60 yard touchdown. Uh, so, by the way, I don't want to, like, seem super dramatic and, like, negative when it comes to Brock Purdy. Um, I'm just saying those are, like, the worries that if I do have, that's what it is. Uh, uh, that said, Brock Purdy is the best quarterback that Kyle Shanahan has had since Matt Ryan. I I, I love Jimmy Garoppolo. Is he the guy for sure next year now? Uh, so, here's my point, and here's what I'm saying. I love Jimmy. Mm-hmm. I've been one of Jimmy Garoppolo's probably biggest defenders on on this planet. And it is so blatantly obvious as a 49ers fan that's watched every 49ers game that Brock Purdy does things for this offense that Jimmy couldn't do. Mm-hmm. Like there are throws that he is willing to make or that Kyle is willing to let him make. That's a whole other thing. But I think when we look at what Brock Purdy did and when we, you know, I obviously, you know, when I ran into, uh, Sage Rosenfeld at the mountain, right? In Colorado. And he goes, he goes, I'm telling you, he goes, this is not, I don't, he's like, I think he's going to actually be really special. And I'm sitting there like, all right, dude. Yeah, whatever. And then here he is 10 and 0 winning playoffs. He's through for four touchdowns in the playoffs. Like, so to answer your question, there's no world where this is not Brock Purdy starting job right now. Week one period. Even if, they lose next week to the Cowboys, which I think is no possible chance in happening. Freezing cold, take me, whatever. I don't care. Uh, it's not going to happen. They're going to destroy them at home with that defense, yada, yada, yada. Um, but even if they were to somehow lose to the Cowboys, I, you would immediately have him as the starter. And, and I think the only thing that you can do is say, we're going to have an open QB competition out of respect for Trey, right? It's not his fault that he got injured. We'll have an open QB competition. The best quarterback will win. And you'll go from there. But I, there's no way. Like, I think the, the Tom Brady rumors, there's no chance. No shot. No. no. Shot. <sighs> so before I – I don't want to rant, and I, I certainly don't want to just be the only one talking, but I will. I want to emphasize this. I think because of how absurd this Brock Party situation is, I think it's hard for people to wrap around their head how insane – and how good he is playing. This is a guy that is throwing for yards and touchdowns that the 49ers have not seen since Joe Montana and Steve Young. Those are some special players with a little bit of significance. Okay, They're, He's doing things that I haven't seen a quarterback do since Cap, right? And it's like, you know, they talk about his 10-yard splits, right? When it was like, you know, when he was in, in the combine or even go to the combine or whatever. And it's just, you see that short burst agility and it makes it so easy for him to get out of the pocket and like evade pass. I don't know about you guys, but every time Brock Purdy had the ball, I felt like he like reverse rolled out throw. Like every time it's like, no one was anywhere near him. And he's like, you know, reverse roll out throw. And he's just like super athletic, sneaky athletic. One might say. So I don't know where they go future wise. I do think I want to see a little more of, Trey Lance and Jimmy G in this Kyle Shanahan offense, this offense with Christian McCaffrey, because this offense with Christian McCaffrey and then the offense without was very different. And just the stuff that Kyle Shanahan can do with a guy like Christian McCaffrey is insane. And why I think this is his best coaching. Like he's done since 2016 with the Falcons. Like there were, there were a string of plays where 
The Niners were in I formation, and Debo was dotting the eye in the backfield, and Christian McCaffrey was out wide. They run that outside zone, but they run like a little dart action, which is basically a backside slant. McCaffrey's running the backside slant. The first time they hand the ball off to Debo, he gets like seven yards. And the next time they throw McCaffrey the dart and he gets like eight yards. And you're just sitting there like, what do you even do about this? Like the gravity that he can draw with all these players, all these players demand so much attention from the defense that you're just stretching defenses. There's you're stressing them out to the point where everything is wide open. Like the there only- was George Kittle, like 25 yard catch. God where the Seahawks were in cover two and Christian McCaffrey runs to the flat. The corner who's playing in the half in the flats has to monitor Christian McCaffrey. So he comes up hard. Brandon Ayuk runs a go, which takes away the uh, field safety. Who's playing the deep half. George kills just running it over, over the middle. And then when you have use check coming out of the backfield, running a little hook over the middle to occupy the middle linebacker, dude kills wide open. Ryan Neal, the safety on the backside, just looking like around, like pointing over to him, like, hey, somebody over there has got to guard him. But you can't do that because then you're just leaving everybody else wide open. Like, it's so crazy watching this offense because everybody's used to the maximum ability. But it is, yeah. having these guys that draw so much attention makes everything so easy. But I do think I, I genuinely think, and I think you've 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 heard the way people talk about Purdy and people talk about Kyle. I do think that Kyle doesn't let Jimmy do what Brock is doing. Now, if it's because he, Jimmy literally can't do it, or if it's because Kyle doesn't trust him, and there's some weird thing going on between those two guys, I don't know. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo had his best season I think I've ever watched him play football this year, and obviously Christian McCaffrey helped. Um, that said, they're, they're, again, Brock Purdy is doing things that Jimmy has not done since he, he you know, played with, with Kyle. Um, the, as a 49er fan right now, I just want to get, like, my feelings out because I, I don't think – I don't want to tweet it because it's corny because it's, like, you know, whatever. But, like, in my head right now, Patrick Mahomes is the only thing – that is that is stopping me from being fully confident that the 49ers win the Super Bowl. Absolutely. Other than other than the history that I, you know, I as a 49ers fan have, right? And and this is the thing. This is the point that I want to make. Every Super Bowl that they were in, every NFC championship that they were in, that was a brutal loss, whether it was, you know, against the Seahawks and they lost in the NFC championship, or obviously the Ravens, um, or the Chiefs, the quarterback position. Was the was always what held them just enough back to lose the game every time. And listen, is Brock Purdy as good as how he's played right now? Is he really going to be able to step up in that moment in that big of a game? We'll have to wait and see. But he's playing good enough right now, and he's played good enough the last ten games, or you know how whatever many games he started to win a Super Bowl. With the, this defense, with the weapons we have on offense, we – I don't play football for the 49ers. Like, this is this is the best defense, the best offense in the NFL right now, period. And the only thing that will stop the 49ers is the 49ers. The only, the only thing that can possibly stop the, the 49ers from winning the Super Bowl is themselves. And maybe Patrick Mahomes, but that's just because he's Patrick Mahomes. 
please, dear God, can can the Jaguars beat the Chiefs this this week? Upset of the upset of the century, a good defense. What do you think? I hope so. I mean, I remember a team last year who won the division with a second year quarterback, made an ex- made an insane play in the last get in the last drive of the wild card, then went into the number one seed's house and won that game, then made the Super Bowl. Like, hey, anything can happen. I'm that's honestly where I'm at with this Jaguars team. Anything can happen. I'm just here for the ride. But What's so crazy about the Niners is we haven't even talked about the defense that much. <laughs> like the defense also played really, really well. And it's wild how they can just like I think the Seahawks did some really nice things in the first half in the outside zone run game. DK had an amazing game. Like, this is the game they needed to get from DK Metcalf for them to have a chance. I, I don't want to interrupt you, but I, I do want to say this because it was a beautiful tweet. Uh, Jackson Bevins, uh, who does the field goals and cigars, and, and uh, he's just one of my favorite follows on Twitter from sports perspective, but he's a Seahawks fan. And he was like, Debo or DK had one of the best games he's ever had, and it didn't matter. That's like, you got the best version of DK at, you could have possibly had, and it just didn't matter. The Niners destroyed them. Like, he had like 177 yards, and yeah. In the second half, all of that just went away. All the lanes in the run game, gone. All those deep DK passing passing shots, gone. Like, they can just eliminate what you do best and force you into being a quick game, check down team, and then they swarm you. Like, it's, it's just insane how many guys they have who can just take over a football game. Deshaun Gibson – had an amazing game. And Deshaun Gibson was one of the underrated signings they had this year. He signed him off the off the street. He was unemployed. It wasn't was, a free, it wasn't a free agency signing. Like it wasn't, it was like what week two? He was a he was a street signing. Charles right. Andrew playing great, phenomenal. We're gonna Jordan absolutely Lewis have to extend was him. Insane. Like you can just rotate these Jay, guys in. Javon Kenlaw, by the way, who we were worried might not be able to play football because of the type of injuries he's had. We were thinking, oh, this could be a really big bust. We didn't draft him with a high pick. He wasn't even supposed to play this year. Comes back, gets healthy, was just this run-stopping dynamo. Just so just such a large Eric Armstead is one of the largest human beings I've ever seen in my entire life. And when Javon Kinlaw stands next to him, it's just like, oh, he's bigger. <laughs> and what, it's just when he was like running, like do run stuffing in the middle of the that line, it was just hilarious. He's so large. There's so many players. Deshaun Gibson, isn't he an all pro? He was almost an all pro this Not year. all pro. I mean, excuse me, pro bowler? I think he might be going to. He, yeah, I think he won like some type of award. I mean, he was literally signed off the street. It's it's insane. Great or George Odom. No one knows who George Odom is. George Odom is out here tweeting like, "We ain't gonna lose. We're winning the Super Bowl." That's how much juice this team has. It's insane. There's also some pressure though, right? Like D'Amico Ryan's is like, I feel like he's gonna get a head job uh, after this season. I feel like he's got a strong shot. Where you're like, we got a strong we shot. Gotta... He's turning down interviews. Well, he kind of had. Oh, you can't. Can he? I mean, teams the are going to wait. Like, the Texans he, requested an interview, and he specifically said, uh, "Well, I understand why." Uh, he's got, well, I, I he's, understand why he he's got. A, that he's one. got. A, he's got a lawsuit against the team. Yeah, from I was going to say, like, that's a good one to decline. Um, but my, yeah, my point is though, is like 
D'Amico has been like, it's been reported that mm. he's going to be extremely picky with who he picks. So I don't think he's going to get in the way. You who I'm not, I hope is not picky is Deshae Townsend for uh, Falcons defensive coordinator. Like his name popped up number like they have some pat some history uh, with Arthur Smith and this staff. And I was like, yes, DMP's retired. And I was like, looking at this Jaguar secondary and looking what this Jaguar defense has done. Like, yeah, let's pull like Jim Schwartz out of retirement. Like uh, who's done an analyst that man cannot stay retired. But no, Townsend would be super cool with um, AJ Terrell and how much investment we've actually done uh, in the secondary that. Um, Richie Grant and company. Uh, we'll see uh, if that's that's a possibility. But the Jags have to lose for for that to become a possibility. So we'll see if the Falcons wait on him or they just promote uh, Bush, Frank Bush. But um, I will say between the thing with the Niners too. Last thing here, it's just it, it's funny that they're a team that like now shot like Kyle Shanahan. I feel like was one of those coaches who was getting. He just was so much was look being looked at him. He was graded so critically both by Niner fans and just football fans for so many years. And I mean, he's always been blamed for the collapse in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. And he's always been like blamed when things go wrong or the it's like all right, kind of collapse in the Super Bowl. Right. And uh. then he has these moments still in these games where like people for, will just forget like the pooch kick before the half. We were like, what are you doing? Like just some really weird dumb yeah, stuff that, that he gets Andy away with it. because this team's so talented everywhere. Like well, here's, just, here's the thing. As yeah. someone who is always willing to criticize Kyle Shanahan, um, mainly because he's a nerd and nerds need to be bullied. <laughs> um, no, I'm joking. Uh, but the one thing I will say is like, I was critical of him because it's like, okay, you want to be called an offensive genius. Fine. And to his, you know, Hey, yeah, he is playing very well. The team is playing well. He's coaching. Well, obviously he's scheming guys wide open. Like he's, doing a good job if i were to counterpoint anything i would say if there's a coach that cannot be successful with this roster they don't belong coaching in the nfl like is kyle doing the best out of anyone that were to maybe coach this team i would i would say so i don't think brock party's going to do this without kyle but like come on dude you can literally throw three yards to four different players and they're all going to take it to the house <laughs> Um, like having the monsters out real quick, real quick before we just stop talking about the 49ers, they have on this roster the best left tackle in the NFL, the best linebacker in the NFL, the best running back in the NFL. Um, maybe the best safety. I don't know if you want to give Tal, I think Talanoa Hufunga has obviously had some issues with coverage this year, but he's all pro and he's a fifth rounder, right? Like, like you have. Nick Posa, who is the best, you know, position like the like any team would be happy to have one of these guys. They have like seven of them. They have f- five, six, maybe seven of the best player at that position. And Jimmy Ward has played like the best slot corner in the NFL since moving him to the slot. Yeah, Jimmy Ward is. I've said it before, and I got made fun of, but I was like the most underrated player in the NFL because. He never gets the recognition that the stars do, and he plays better than them. <laughs> and there's like when the Niners have that offense where Juice is on the field, Kittle, Ayuk, Debo, and CMC, that's like having the Monstars like out there together. I think, I think they had like an EPA of like point like two five every time they were on the field against the Seahawks, because what that forces you to do is 
the Seahawks tried to match that personnel because it's 21 personnel, two backs, a full, there's a fullback and a tight end, 21 personnel. They tried to match that with their base defense, their three, four defense, got both linebacks on the field because if you don't, if you play lighter personnel, they'll just beat you over the head in the run game. But in that 21 personnel, they could line up Christian McCaffrey out wide. They can go gun with use check as a tight end. They can line up George Kittle in the backfield or have him split out wide. Or have him block, like as if he's one of the best blockers in the NFL. He's there's so many guys who can do so many things really well. And Kyle Shanahan's to using them in every single way possible. So it makes it impossible to, for you to guard them out of that base coverage. You have to go lighter to try and stop the pass. But when you do that, they're going to run for 200 yards. And the, like I said, their run game wasn't even that great on Saturday. And it didn't matter. That's the scariest part of this team because we've seen before, Kyle Shanahan, when he wants to run the ball, when he wants the Niners to run the ball, they will run the ball. They'll run the ball really well. Yeah, I mean, the they the Brandon Ayuk almost caught that touchdown in the end zone corner, which by the way would have been the best touchdown pass and catch in the playoffs in like the last 10 years. Maybe uh, it was insane. Um, but they almost scored 50 points. Okay. So you missed on the Jawan Jennings touchdown like the first quarter where he underthrew it. If he puts that in the right place, they score a touchdown there. Debo had 133 yards. Christian McCaffrey ran for 119 and then also, you know, had 17 and, uh, and a touchdown. Brock Purdy threw for 332 yards and three touchdowns. How do you stop this offense, man? Like, it, what, are you, just, what are you choosing to take away? And you know what they did? They took away George Kittle, by the way. That's what I was going to say. They did a very good job of containing George. He had a couple really good catches. Uh, but for the most part, it looks like that that's what they were trying to accomplish. Um, and what happened? Their other two receivers had 200 yards of receiving. JP, it's late on a Monday. You have to make this call now. What is your gut telling you? If we get an NFC title game of San Francisco and Philadelphia, who do you think wins as of right now? I think the Niners win. I think the Niners are the best team in the NFC right now. We need to know what Jalen Hurts' health is. I don't understand. Not only Jalen Everyone wants to keep talking about the Eagles, and it's like we don't even know that he's going to be 100%. If he's not 100%, there is no world the Eagles win. He has to be 100%. Lane Johnson not being healthy would also be huge for that team because there is a big drop-off between the best right tackle in the NFL and his backup. Like Not having Lane Johnson in the game for that team would be huge. So Mm. I do want to see them play against the Giants when both guys are healthy. That's gonna be a, that's gonna be a really fun game, because like the Giants, I don't know how they do it, but they keep doing it, man. They they keep doing it, and they're really well coached, so they'll have come up with a game plan. But it's gonna be interesting. Is it weird that Lamar did not travel with the Ravens this week? Can we just say that that's weird? I initially thought so, but yeah. then Tory Smith was like, "Yeah, he didn't travel last week either because it was a road game." And mm-hmm. I really don't know, like, the Ravens' protocol for players well, who, like, travel. Marlon Humphreys said today, like, I don't even know if I'm supposed to say this, but Lamar's, like, limping around the, 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 the facility. Yeah. So, I mean, like, if you really have a bad knee injury um, and you're limping around the facility, why would you travel with the team? Like, get – like, don't travel at all. Just stay where you are and recover as fast as you can, hoping that you win this game. But there's no world where 
Lamar Jackson should have risked his knee for the team that wouldn't sign him an extension. And for a player like Lamar Jackson, who relies a lot on explosiveness yep. and running, there's no reason to play when your legs aren't a, at least 100%. Especially Dude, I, in a game. Like, I literally hyperextended my knee, and I'm once again, I'm not a doctor, and I don't I'm not, I'm dumb. I'm just dumb. I'll say that. But it was very obvious that my PCL was damaged a little bit, right? And that's the similar to what what's going on with Lamar, but Lamar's injury is so much worse. I feel terrified to do any type of lateral movement whatsoever right now. And I have I wear a brace. Like, you know, obviously I'm not doing this. Welcome to the last four months of me right. with a broken you know, foot, Evan. Like but, it's a yeah, there's but, a mental block here. But the foot, even still, like the foot to me is different because that's just bones. Right. Oh, hold on. No, it's not. There are tendons everywhere. JB, I, do you hear the slander? No. Oh, okay. I, I thought you just – okay. Anyways, I don't want to get into that because I agree with you if that's the case. But my point is, is like it, a quarterback that is mobile, if you're, like, if you're even remotely like what's going on with my knee to the nth degree, like I would be terrified of risking and, that. And risking Pat – risking – your knee and long-term health to throw passes to Sammy Watkins is not a good move. Right. It's like, it would be a weird thing, a decision to make if you had signed an extension with guarantees. He, he doesn't even have that. Why? Well, it's not about him playing. It's just why would like, could he have not have been in the box? Could he not have flown? I don't really understand that part of it or like doing a pump up speech. Cause I know him and Huntley are close. Um, I guess like maybe they, t- I don't know. I just, it's clear that it's weird because like Peter King and uh, his story, the uh, the Monday morning quarterback that he does uh, for NBC Sports now um, had like a little blurb about like the what's probably going to happen is a different kind of franchise tag where it's an what was it non-conditional? What is it? Non-conditional. Uh, yeah. So that's what's probably going to happen with him this uh, offseason, which basically says uh whoever wants to bid and see what you uh, who really wants to go all in, whether that's New York um maybe atlanta um i don't know who it is miami maybe if things really want to get interesting here um could jump in there but like you're gonna have to give up multiple picks um for him i don't know i just the thing about lamar that we i feel like people are overlooking is like there's two things can be true and this is something i've said for like the last year he can win you a Super Bowl. They've built their entire offense around him. They have obviously kind of uh, not <laughs> paid a bunch of attention to the receiver aspect here, um, building around Lamar Jackson. But they've, I mean, a bunch of big time tight ends. They've developed tight ends really well. Um, J.K. Dobbins was not happy with his touches um, overall, but like they have drafted well at the running back spot. They've drafted well at the lineman spot, like Tyler Linder. Linder Bomb is like the basically the best uh, rookie uh, center in the NFL, and it's just going to be one of the best centers in the NFL going forward. Like they've still drafted well. Eric DaCosta has nailed it all across the board. You look at the defense; like the Roquan Smith trade was awesome. They pay him, um, lock him up. You uh, nail the Hamilton pick; he's been great in the slot for Baltimore. Like he's hit on all these different spots, and like this is a true contender. But like. Lamar well, has been banged up the last two years. Like part of this is we're now entering this the time where I think it's just he's not been available down the stretch the last two years. And I just I don't know. Like if you're a team, I guess if you're like the Jets, you're like, hey, we need our jobs might be on the line. Let's just see what happens here. 
But like, would you be comfortable, JP, giving a long-term contract to Lamar Jackson based on what we've seen the last two years and his knee still not being right at this point? I would, and mainly because the way that offense is schematically built and schematically designed to be around Lamar's strengths, mm. going out and trading Lamar Jackson or letting Lamar Jackson walk in the hopes that you find another Lamar Jackson is not smart because there's only one Lamar Jackson. Hmm. I mean, like, you can't listen. find a guy that will do the same things he does. What if you just draft Anthony Richardson the first round this year? And then before, do what? Like, I guess hold on, before we talk about rebuilds, before we talk about any of this, I, we need to, to discuss because it matters and you know, with Lamar, if, we, if you wanted to stay or anything, Greg Roman again in the playoffs has trouble at the goal line by not using a running back and instead getting cute and it costs them the football game. Like Greg Roman called a terrible game. But but like it in itself, Greg Roman could have called a terrible game and, and it would have been a bad thing. Greg Roman is bar for bar, shot for shot, word for word, exactly doing what he's doing right now that he did in San Francisco. Mobile quarterback, choking in the playoffs with the running back situation. Don't give it to Frank Gore. Do I think J.K. Dobbins is as good as Frank Gore was in that moment? No. Um, but like I don't there I don't think there's going to be a soft reset for the Ravens. If you get rid of Lamar, you're not going to be able to your point, you're not going to be able to replace him. You're not going to go just get another Lamar. So I without Lamar Jackson. I mean, if just, you move on from Lamar, you got to move on from Greg Roman too. Like the whole scheme needs to be updated. You need to change direction. Um, and now, they, they now have Harbaugh's so much talent everywhere. NFL. Like this is a team that's close. They don't, I don't know. have like, a lot of talent in the positions that matter. They don't have good running backs. The running backs are decent. They're not good. I don't know. They, I think Gus Edwards well, and J.K. Dobbins are good. I, I think no. close is a little... I don't know. That receiving that room is terrible. That receiving room is so bad. Like, what, if it comes down... If one guy like Rashad Bateman going down for the rest of the season means you have to pick up Sammy Watkins and Andy Isabella... <laughs> play serious snaps for you in a playoff game and you're throwing a James Prochet. Mm. You're they like, need a they need a number a wide receiver one. That, they need just a wide receiver over six feet tall. But they, like in mm. general, they need a wide receiver one and they don't have a wide receiver two or a wide receiver three. Like that in total entire receiving core has to be completely redone in the same way that the Jaguars have done. I think like, Bateman, that's what they need. I think Bateman can be really good. I think he's shown he can be really good, but he needs help like in that receiving room. Like, of course, all the attention is going to go to Rashad Bateman and Mark Andrews because nobody else is a credible threat. Well, what's the tight end that they've developed? Uh, the late round guy who's been Isaiah great. Likely, yeah. Isaiah Likely is fun. He's a fun mm. player. I think he's going to be good, but you can't live in 13 personnel <laughs> with Likely. Uh, Andrews, and then Josh Oliver on the field all at the same time. You can't live like that. Hold on. Yeah. The Georgia Bulldogs wanted to do that with Darnell Washington, Brock Bowers, and uh, what, Oscar Dell. They they love that. Some teams can. That's like every big like can. physical coach's dream is 13 personnel. Mike Malarkey is somewhere just like, yes, where's Frank Wycheck? Let's get him in there. Yeah, like Georgia can do it because Georgia has the best player at every position everywhere. <laughs> and the Ravens don't have that. Yeah. Like, I just think Baltimore needs to – they need to get Lamar – keep Lamar Jackson around for a long term. 
you don't really just let elite quarterbacks like go in the prime of their career. Yeah. If there's no Lamar Jackson, that running back group gets significantly worse. The receivers are already terrible. Mark, Mark Andrews, as great as he has been, how much of that is because of Lamar Jackson? I'm not saying it is or isn't. I'm just saying that's a question you have to have. Without Lamar Jackson, this team can implode fast. I don't know. I think the defense is too good. I think John Harbaugh's too good of a coach, like that overall. Defense is, that defense is really good, but then what? You become the Steelers? I was literally going to say yeah. that. Like, the, 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 like you're going to just be a decent team that maybe squeaks into the playoffs? You're yeah. banging on the doors of eight and nine, never being bad enough to get a top quarterback, but never being good enough to make the playoffs. Yeah. Maybe they go for Tom Brady. I don't Tom think Brady Tom, running Greg offense. Tom is going to New York, the Jets, and that is final. That is what America needs is Tom on the Jets in the last year. We we need Tom in uh, in New York facing Belichick twice next year. I will That's say what we need. Tampa is a very divorced dad area, so <laughs> Tom Brady being there is perfect. Tom Brady already said his goodbyes. He just had like a very veiled goodbye to the media and left which already got fired or he's been reported like that's what trended like uh pewter report like had that ready to go right after is like uh even they didn't even let him get back into the (laughs) locker room no they did the lane kiffin like it's uh it's not gonna work so unfortunately byron left which is gonna be the fall guy there um i wonder if he winds back up in pittsburgh um and joins uh joins that staff somehow because it seems i'm not sure if they're gonna keep matt canada um in pittsburgh but that'd be cool I think I like that. I think I like Byron Leftwich there. I think Kenny Pickett would benefit a lot. I think George Pickens would benefit a lot from Byron Leftwich being there. Mm. Um, I'm not sure what they're going to do in Matt Canada, but this Bucks offense had to change. Something had to give. Something had to change. You cannot, you cannot be as bad as you were this year on offense with Tom Brady and then try and run it back the next year. But right. now it's gonna be interesting. Like, what do they do at the quarterback spot? Do they draft somebody? Do they go after Derek Carr? Like, I don't know what the Bucks do. This is very dependent on whatever Tom Brady does. Right. If Tom Brady mm-hmm. decides like he's done, like with the NFL or done with the Bucks, then I mean, maybe you go into like full implosion mode where you do <sighs> you blow it up and you rebuild because the Bucks are probably going to pick in like what 22nd, 23rd. You're going to be out of the range of a top quarterback this year. I mean, you'd have to go veteran. Like if you move on from Brady and you're like for at least this year, they have to like try and run it back with this group. I think they have to see what happens with the younger, younger vet <laughs> quarterback. It's just going to be, it's going to be difficult because I think that defense is taking a step back. You have to pay a lot of people on that defense. Carlton Davis, Jamel Dean, I think Sean Murphy Bunting, like all those guys in secondary are free agents. Mm. Somebody's somebody's going to not get paid. Somebody's going to have to leave because they've already paid Evans. They've already paid Chris Godwin. Tristan Wirfs is still there. You you have a all-pro right tackle. That's That's what you have. You have Chris Godwin. You have Mike Evans. Other than that, like, We'll see. Good luck. Go Bucks. Like I don't know, man. Like the Bucks are just they're gonna be one of those weird teams to watch uh this offseason. We'll end here. Uh 86% of Bears fans feel as though Chicago is moving in the right direction. I was reading this on Windy City Gridiron the other day. Kevin Warren leaves the Big Ten to come back uh to the Bears as president. Um, Ryan Proles will 
basically get, I mean, I don't know what kind of godfather offer he's going to get for that number one overall pick, but Levy Smith did him the solid of all solids by winning that last game of the season. Cause I don't think they're going to go quarterback. Like you, like you said, where they have fields, he's shown enough to this point that look, and I think it's different. Like everything is just circumstance where it's like, if you're the, uh, you have to look at it from a bears fan perspective. Like even if you're not completely sold on Justin Fields being the guy for 15 years, you have to take into account that these fans, like there's some 30 year old bears fans that have never had a franchise quarterback that they've developed themselves and uh, just gotten attached to and been able to get their Jersey as rookies and just see it through for 10 years. Like that should matter a little bit in this market. Like you've really done a bad job at developing quarterbacks for several decades. Like just see this one through, please. Can you at least see uh, the Justin Fields thing through? And it seems like that's why bears fans are pretty optimistic because even with the long losing streak going into the offseason for the Bears, the defense looked a little bit better, field flash, especially with his feet. And you're like, hey, there's no receiver help anywhere whatsoever. Um, let's just see what happened. He did a lot with nothing. He's shown us enough. Sell the number one pick for just a king's ransom and let's ride. And I, I think it's interesting that they're this optimistic uh, going into next year. Do you share that optimism for the immediate future, JP? I think... I think I do a little bit, and it's mainly because, first off, I don't think they're picking a quarterback mainly because what benefit would it do that quarterback to put him behind that offensive line with yeah. those receivers with the help of that defense? You'd basically be doing what you did to Justin Fields for the first two years. It's yeah. You're just repeating. Just the starting it over. All over yeah. again. I think they either draft the best defensive player on the board or trade back. I think what they need to do is – they need as many shots at the dartboard as possible. Hmm. Get as much picks as you can. Get as much talent as you can into that room. And then figure out who sticks. Figure out what, what you have that's actually good. I think they're in a good spot because you have Justin Fields. I think Jaquan Brisker and Kyler Gordon are going to be good in that secondary. I think Darnell Mooney is a fine receiver. I think Chase Claypool is a fine number three. We need to go get a number one receiver. I think Tevin Jenkins played really well at right guard before he got hurt. Like there's some stuff there, but they need a lot of help everywhere. They need as many shots. They need as many shots at the draft as possible. So get as many picks as you can and then figure out who sticks, figure out who's good, who's not. And let's see if, see if it works next year. If it doesn't, then if Justin Fields is bad, sure, go ahead and take a quarterback. But if he's not, then you got something there. You're building something. If the Giants can do anything with Daniel Jones, the Bears will be fine with Justin Fields. Did you see enough with the OC, the new OC with that Everflues hired that makes you believe that he's the right OC for Fields? I'm cautiously optimistic. I think the okay. biggest thing that I enjoyed was watching him change the scheme to benefit the players. They were mm. very much under center, drop back, deep PA, like passing team in the early part of the season. Then they went to their buy, self scouted, and then changed. That's really what you want to see from an offensive coordinator. Like if things aren't working, if your scheme isn't working, figure out what's what works best for your players. And figuring mm. out Justin Fields can is like one of the best athletes at a position in the NFL and figuring out he can run really well, that worked. 
for this team. I don't think running him as much as they did is a benefit to him. Mm. But eventually, like knowing you have that in your pocket, as well as his development as a passer, mm. like you can you can't really say it was a terrible year for the offensive coordinator. I think switching up that scheme, figuring out what play what his players were good at was really beneficial. I think he might be able to do some nice things depending on what they do in the draft of free agency. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins might possibly be available and the Bears have the most cap space in the league. I would love that. And some draft picks. Just go big wideouts with him. Hey, I, I love the idea of Claypool on one side, Hop on the other, and then my man Velas Jones they in the said slot. I love that they, idea. They were talking about it tonight. I think it actually makes sense. I'd love to see Godwin or Mike Evans hmm. there. Because, I mean, no one's staying in Tampa Bay. So I would love to see Mike Evans would be amazing there. Get somebody to be what Stefan Diggs was for Josh Allen. Hmm. That's really what you got to do. Get him a number one receiver. Not even Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen. Like, it doesn't have to be that big of a scale. Get Speaking of Calvin Ridley, get the Jags get tr- Calvin Ridley next year. Cool. Like, that's something you forgot. I, I just I sometimes remind myself. I'm like, oh yeah, they just have Calvin Ridley. My guy's never coming back. Like he's just uh, he's a Jaguar next year when I next see him. That's gonna be insane. That yeah. offense. Gonna I'm gonna insane. love it, JP. I'm just I'm having a great time over here. <laughs> I'm just having a blast. But just get somebody like even get him a Christian Kirk, mm. a guy who can, who has some juice and can get open. Somebody who can who he can rely on. Not everybody can be Christian Kirk, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not, not everybody can be Christian Kirk, but <laughs> he's doing well. Getting somebody who can be relied on consistently in the passing game would be huge for that for Justin Fields in that offense. If they keep the pick and they go number one, who do you think they take, and who would you take? We'll end it here, JP. I think, I think they're going to take Will Anderson. Okay. And I also think they should take Will Anderson. I think it's very close between him and Jalen Carter. I think Jalen Carter is amazing. And given Matt Eberflus' history in Indianapolis and going out and trading for DeForest Buckner, a game-changing defensive tackle, Mm. it might be what they really want. But if you also look at the uh, Colts draft history while Eberflus was there, they took a lot of swings at edge. Mm. A lot of like shots at the dartboard with edge. Will Anderson is so good. Like he is, he is such a good football player and so strong for being 240 and not being as heavy or as big as you think. He's so strong at the point of attack. I think he is a game changing edge rusher. So not when he plays Tennessee, JP, not when he's got matched up with Gerald Mincy on the left side. Not when he plays Tennessee, that Tennessee game was, that was Excellence in execution and play calling by Josh Heupel. But Will Anderson is a game changer. And Jalen Carter is also really, really good. Like, Are you not worried about the motor? Like just the him being able to play enough snaps to make it worthwhile? We're seeing that a little bit with Jordan Davis, right? Like he's only playing a certain amount of snaps for the Eagles week in, week out. I'm not because for the most part, Jalen Carter was getting triple teamed. Like yeah. <laughs> he also had a nagging like knee injury. Like yeah. this season, I think he hurt his knee against Missouri, and he never really fully healed from that, and mm. was still like dominating games. But that first step explosion, the power, the quickness, the technique that he has—he's also a really, really good run defender who can just blow up plays. Yeah, 
you you really can't go wrong. Whoever ends up with Jalen Carter or Will Anderson, depending on who the Bears pick, is getting a insanely good player. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Swords, you survived this weekend. Your team's still in the playoffs. JP's team's still in the playoffs. Y'all have, I mean, Cowboys Niners next week's going to be bonkers. You get Jaguars Chiefs next week's going to be bonkers. I will say, Bengals fans have a right to be, I think, pissed about next week. Um, I think that kind of sucks. I don't know why that's not a neutral site. Um, Bills, Bengals, I feel like it should. Um, I don't know if y'all share the same sentiment, but I'm like... I don't know if that's like the fairest, but I just don't care. Yeah. I just don't care. I'm at that point where I'm like, I just go line up and play ball. Yeah. 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 I think that you should have gotten the home field advantage for this game. Just go out and win the game. Yeah. I don't even think they should get the home field. Cause like, we still don't know, like they were up when everything ended, but like, I just, I don't know. I feel like this one should have definitely been a neutral site. I think that would have been the fair thing is this matchup particular yeah but i also think what the nfl did was like the bills have 13 wins the Bengals have 12 yeah. so give them a little bit of the edge yeah, give them right and they're the best story in the nfl so give them the edge and uh we'll see what happens i do think they're the most beatable though going into this weekend i think based on the dolphins playing it very very close with skylar thompson last week um i don't know i think the bills are bills are gettable and I, I'm leaning Bengals even in I, Buffalo this weekend. I was, I, I was like this before. I was as a Niners fan. The only team that worried me is Patrick Mahomes. I don't mean the Chiefs. Mm. I mean literally Patrick Mahomes. Like obviously, the deep forty, the Chiefs defense has like struggled. They're like middle of the road across the board. Um, it was always Patrick Mahomes. And then to your point, Chase. As soon as I watched that Bills uh, Dolphins game, I'm like, there's no team that I'm worried about in the entire NFL. The Bills it's, are. The Bills are great when they don't get in their own way. Right. The problem is that for a lot of games, they get in their own way. Josh Allen is a fantastic quarterback, but sometimes Josh Allen does really stupid stuff. Like that's kind of the well, that's what the trade-off is with Josh mm-hmm. Allen. You get the 60-yard bombs he throws to Stefan Diggs, like on the third and 15 play. And then you also got to trade that off with the fumble because yeah. that's what Josh Allen is. Like that's the trade-off you make. But I do think they are a very interesting team in this playoffs, mainly because it all depends on Josh Allen. Yeah, if Josh Allen can mitigate the crazy, like really bad turnovers, and like cut down on that while also being like flamethrower Josh Allen, like they could be one. They could be like the favorites to win the Super Bowl. I just don't know how often you're going to get flamethrower Josh Allen when you also get goofy goober Josh Allen. I just feel like every team in the NFL right now is like had some very suspect moments leading up to the playoff mm-hmm. and now in the playoffs. Like the Bills were supposed to be much more dominant than they they are right now. I don't think they have the kind of momentum to be that like lock. I think losing Von Miller really hurt them. It yeah. feels like that's Actually. a bigger loss than I think we thought it was going to be when he went down. Like he, he seemed like kind of like the heart and soul of that defense. Um, get losing him, uh, like just week in week out, his impact was was very much felt. I don't know if you've seen the same thing without, like the Bills' defense with Von Miller and without. Is it is it a big difference? I think obviously, like losing Von Miller is going to like take a dig out of your pass rush, but yeah, I think for the most part they've played fine. Hmm. They played well. I think going into this game, like 
the Bengals offensive line is at a huge disadvantage because Jonah Williams dislocated a kneecap. Yeah. And so now they're down their left tackle, they're down their right guard and their right tackle. So that could be where the Bing, the Bills win this game, but it's difficult because I want to believe in the Bills defense a little bit more because I like the talent they have and I like what they do sometimes. But sometimes their DBs aren't that great. I think they can be had in the passing game. Um, and I think the Bengals are the perfect team to kind of attack them that way. Like they have three guys capable of like taking over a game. And Joe Burrow, who's playing, he's arguably playing at a higher level than he was last year when they went to the Super Bowl. So we'll mm. see. JP, you wrote uh, a great piece uh, about the Jags' victory, playoff victory, and being there in person. Uh, loved it on SBNation.com slash NFL, so go check that out, folks, if you have not already done so. I don't know when you wrote that, because I was reading it on Sunday morning, and I was like, this man was at this game. I don't know what time <laughs> he wrote and filed this, I but I know it was that. very late. I wrote that at 3.30 a.m. Jesus. You finished or you started? I, I, started, <laughs> I started at 3.30. I was good. It was good. It was really good. I love that. Um, JP, thank you as always for the time. We greatly appreciate it and love your insight and love your work and uh, happy for you and your Jags on a job well done. Uh, we'll see what happens. Evan and I will be rooting for the Jags in KC. Evan in particular, because that man wants no part of Patrick Mahomes in another Super Bowl. Not afraid uh, of admitting that. No. Follow Evan on Twitter at uh, Evan Swords. Follow JP at JP Acosta. Read him, SBNation.com, uh, all the good folks. And keep up with all the 49ers followers. It's a great uh, great fan base to keep up with on Twitter.com as well. Um, but thank you both for the time. And uh, I will talk to you all both very soon. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves. And I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you, but you're interviewing. Mm -hmm. you're, um, pleasantness you're smart so i think i'm going to hear big things about you nicely done nephew chase thomas podcast hell yeah